Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 341 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 13, 2014. USC is 3-1 in the Pac-12. The best record in the Pac-12. Crazy turn of events Saturday night in Tucson, Arizona. We're going to talk to you, Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde all about that. We're going to get to a bunch of your questions. We do love to hear from you, so if you have a question, send it in, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or call us at 206-888-6755. That's the voicemail, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page. We want to bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde. I got to listen to his program, post-game show, the Trojan Brunch, Sunday morning, get his thoughts. It was a crazy turn of events there in Tucson, like I said. Coach, what's going on? How are you doing? Ryan, good morning to everyone out there. Yes, it's a a great week, especially when you get the W. And uh, I don't know where to start, uh, Ryan. Uh, (laughs) Where do you start when you think about it? uh, Two weeks ago, uh, we said, where do you start? And uh, it was a different type of ending. This time it's... uh, a different type of ending. Now, three onside kicks in two games. And then you think about two games being decided on the final play. Of the three onside kicks, the two you get, you lose that game. And the one you lose, you win that game. So uh, quite a, a, a ending uh, for your fingernails. <laughs> and for your heart and uh, all of the about above but uh, they defeated the team on the road with its back against the wall USC obviously uh, UCLA and Oregon had their back against the wall and Oregon won and UCLA went down they did not have a hangover the play I think the team really played hard uh Players uh, made plays, which we haven't seen before. Big plays, Leonard Williams, fumble recovery, block field goal, uh, plays that made a difference in the game, and they found a way to win. I guess that's the best way to say it. They found a way to win, and uh, I think that's what it's all about. They certainly did, Coach, and want to jump into – we're going to get a lot of questions – uh, but I want to talk a little about the game with you first and want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. You can call them at 1-800-888-7287. No more baseball here in the Southland, but if you need tickets for anything else across the country, you go to sctickets.com and they'll hook you up. Uh, you want to follow us on social media, I'm at Inside Troy. The coach is at Coach Harvey Hyde. And Coach, I... I I kind of find myself being a little negative sometimes when I'm tweeting during the game and wanted to get your, your thoughts on this. But it was it was nearly a second historic collapse at the very end. But, the, you know, the, the important part, and I think I realized this a bit later, it was a win against the top 10 team on the road. USC is now the, 
the has the best record in the Pac-12, which is crazy, uh, in conference play. But there was a point there with just a few seconds left in the game that it's what happens on this 36-yard kick. USC's either going to be 3-3 three and three with three historic losses of Steve Sarkeesian's six-game tenure at USC or 3-1 and one and atop the Pac-12 South. And obviously it went the latter. But, I mean, it was just crazy how that one last play, everything hinged on that field goal. You're exactly right because if you think about it, Ryan – how bad could it have been? Back-to-back losses after being up and lose. Uh, I don't know. Somebody hexed that field goal kicker. I tell you, <laughs> drilled the first one right through the middle before they call a timeout, and he comes back, and it's almost like, wow, how can that happen? And then lay on the ground and pretend like somebody ran into him, which at first – I wasn't sure because I was watching it on television, so I didn't know. And I said, oh, no, not another chance. But, again, he was just going through the routine he's been taught to do, pretend like he was a hit and so on. But uh, a nice act and then uh, a victory for USC. But I agree with you. To allow it to get to that uh, is very uh, – this dramatic finish type of stuff is is, is – is, is frustrating. Yeah, it shouldn't have got to that, that way. It should not have got to that point. Should not have got to that point. You're exactly right. Uh, uh, it. Uh, I don't know why. Last week, we all know why against Arizona State. What actually happened there? Being up nine points a couple of minutes ago, and we know that we've discussed that. This game uh, uh, never in command. I'm not going to say you're in. SC was in command of the game because I always feared uh, the S, uh, the Arizona offense. I didn't fear its defense because basically its defense didn't blitz much, decided to rush three. Cody Kessler had all day to throw. Uh, Buck Allen was at his best. I wish they'd have run him a little bit more and kept him in the game more. Nothing against Justin Davis. But I think they're a different offensive football team when he's on the field. You can't be afraid to throw the ball down the field. And, again, let's emphasize the tight end is a part of the offense. You should be able to use that. Uh, You've got great receivers. Uh, But it did. It did come down to that because of of a a quarterback. Uh, When you take the runaway, and they took the runaway. They dominated the front, and they lost. Well, they lost two of the running backs, so they're in their third running back, Baker. But they only rushed for 77 yards, and they lost confidence in themselves, I think, Arizona, as far as running the football and running the key play with Solomon. But they threw the ball 72 times, completing 43 for 395 yards. A uh, couple of drops, a couple of pass interferences, a lot of penalties, 13 penalties. Uh, some I don't agree with. Uh, some I think over-officiating is a part of. But uh, just can't put someone away. They haven't been able to put someone away. And I think that's the number one thing that concerns me. The third quarter was a great quarter for them. They really dominated in the third quarter. I thought they they had a long drive. They pounded the football. 
they they just looked good in the third quarter, but the fourth quarter again, things started to come apart. They lost both their corners and Seymour and uh, Adore Jackson. I thought Adore Jackson played a good game. Uh, they ended the game with true freshmen on the field, Lockett, Plattenberg. Uh, I think Bowman played an outstanding game. And, and we're not getting into the outstanding who played outstanding games, but I just think they, they've seen a, the freeze up and they're not able to put somebody away when they can, Ryan. And that's one thing they have to improve on because otherwise you're going to be in these type of games every week, which they have been every week. <laughs> it's been this way every week. They have. So... It, it's been this way every week, so uh, I just don't think they play at their best the entire time. They have a breakdown. Uh, Baker catches that 41 or 48-yard wheel route where we have a breakdown or SE has a breakdown with the linebacker cover him. Uh, there's always something, uh, thank goodness, uh, well, on that punt return uh, that where the outside coverage broke down and Quentin Powell Thank goodness he played so hard he caught the guy in his fast enough kneel to make that tackle, or he's going back all the way for a touchdown. So you got to play sound. Every week there seems to be somebody hurt in the kicking game. I don't know how that happens. This week it was Sadari. Last week it was a snapper. Uh, I just don't see that. They just haven't put everything together at the same time. And... Uh, uh, they use the reason of numbers. Uh, I think when you play as many true freshmen as what they're playing, yes, you have lack of experience, but you still have the same number of players on the field everyone else does and play about the same numbers, around 50, 55 players each. So uh, I can't pinpoint it. I don't watch it every day as far as practice, watch it every day as far as videotapes, but they're just doesn't seem to be the domination. There's a dominating player on offense, and that's Buck Allen. He is dominating. He's a truck. He can. He is the guy that uh, makes the offense go along with Cody, and I think Angulo has been making big plays, but they need to get the receivers more in the game. Yeah, and uh, that's a great but let's, that'll be a good transition. We're going to get to some of these questions, Coach. And the, We had one about Aguilar he just mentioned. Um Mart wrote in and he said, can you please give us your take on the bubble screens or throwing to Nelson Aguilar behind the line? I just think it's a wasted play. And he, I, there was one point in the game where three times in one drive, they threw a bubble screen to Aguilar. And actually the first couple worked and then they just kind of stopped working. But Sark does seem to love to throw that horizontal stuff and keep things near the line of scrimmage. Yes, he does, and I, I think he'd be better off if he threw the ball down the field more. Plus, I think, think he'd be better off if he had something off of it. If you're going to run it that often, then you've got to be able to come off the ball, pretend like it's the bubble string, string uh, screen, the, the blocker who's out there blocking, come off the block and run down the field as a fade route or a streak route. You saw Oregon use it against UCLA for a touchdown. You've got to have something off of everything you do. So if they do this and they take that away, then you do something that will counteract them coming up so fast to stop it. But they just fly up there and make the tackle. Well, you can't allow that to happen. You've got to pump that. Everybody goes through the action, come off the stock block, go down the field and hit it for a pass. Uh, 
You've got to have something off of it, but you can't use it, or I don't suggest using it at all on short yardage because normally on short yardage, you're going to play man. They're going to be tight, and I certainly don't like it when you're down hitch routes and those things down when you don't have any field, like on the 15-yard line. They don't have to defend much of the field, and they ran it once down there because there's not a lot of field behind you that they have to cover. They're not worrying about the streak or the deep pattern. They're playing you up tighter. So I agree with our caller there. I think that they use a little bit too much, and if they are going to use it as much as you are, you better have other things off of it. Um, kind of a follow-up to that, uh, some of the, the pass plays that were being run. Melvin had an issue with, uh, he said, why can't the offensive coaches design a pass route that enables the receiver and the pass to go down the field far enough to at least reach the first down marker and not rely on a catch-and-run play. And I think he was talking about in the fourth quarter, there was a couple of times, I think third down, like third and six, and they throw. You know, there was one that was like a, a one-yard screen to Buck Allen. I think there was another one to, to Nelson Aguilar. But talking about how they do like to they, – they're not, you know, in the third and longer situations, they're not throwing beyond the sticks. Right. It's not the, you know, good decision-making as far as, too, with Cody Kessler – uh, that was like a flat route he threw to Buck Allen. And, 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 and you know, even if he catches it, uh, it ain't going to work. Uh, one time they ran an A option, B option, you call it, where the back comes out of the backfield. And if the linebacker takes the outside, you go inside. If he goes inside, you go outside. And if you remember, Buck Allen slipped and, and fell down. Well, you can't allow yourself to fall down, but you're the primary receiver on that. Uh, and also on stop routes or out routes or curl routes, which they don't do, you've got to go past the necessary yardage and then come back to where the first down marker is. And they don't do that. They throw in front of the marker, or if it's a seven yards to go for first down, they'll sometimes catch the ball at four yards and try to make it on their natural ability, and they don't make it. It's better to throw a route or come back or curl where you go to 10 or 12 and then come back to 8 or 10 and you know you have the sufficient amount of yards you need. They don't do that. And I think they should utilize their tight ends more in that type of position too as far as run seam routes, run to the open area, run curls, run drags, deep drags. We are able to get those first down uh, plays in, in the middle of the field. But if you throw the ball more in the middle of the field, those safeties and they can't help your help their corners as much uh, on routes because they're more concerned too at the middle of the field. Um, another offensive question from Charles and Carson, coach. He wants to know uh, why is George Farmer only being used for run plays? It's the fastest guy on the team, and I bet he won't drop balls like Darius Rogers does. Actually, Darius Rogers had a pretty good game this last game, but. Um, I just don't know why we are mainly relying on one wide receiver, and he wants to see George Farmer be used more. That's Charles and Carson. Well, I agree with that. Uh, I like uh, Rodgers. I like Smith. I like Farmer. I like Nelson, and I like a lot of the other receivers they have, Bryce Dixon, Elford, and some of the other freshmen who they're redshirting. I felt always that Smith should be playing on the defensive side of the ball. Why you need more speed on the defensive side of the ball as far as for pass rushing and being able to cover linebackers, especially in passing situations like when Tavai and, and Felix uh, 
uh, were on the back, uh, on the wheel route. It's more or less a mismatch for a quicker person or a faster person to be covered by a slower person, more of a physical type of guy. I think uh, Craven, now Bowman's been playing well, really has. Now, don't get me wrong, but Juju Smith could be a great outside linebacker and put a lot of pressure on the pass rush because he gets off the ball so fast that he could be a linebacker, he could be strong safety, he could be utilized more on the defensive side of the ball currently right now. That's my opinion because you have such great, talented receivers that are available on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't like to see him rotate when you could be playing every play on defense. So I agree with him. Uh, Farmer should be playing more. Uh, give him an opportunity. He was one of he, well. He was the number one receiver in the country out of high school. He's well now. Given the proper opportunity, experience, he can be a great re- receiver. And, and next year, we, we you know. Uh, Nelson Bobby will be gone. So you've got to start bringing younger players along, and I agree with our – I don't know why he's not playing more, but that's probably because of the rotation they're doing. They just can't get everybody in the game. And and uh, and, and I'd rather see people on the field playing than just uh, – and Juju Smith says he'll play defense. At least that's what I've heard. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we have a uh, voicemail question here, Coach. Um, about uh, some of the big guys up front, which I know you like. Here you go. Coach, Ryan, Dan, this is Luke Menchanka from San Barbara, California. Uh, I wanted to get in the huddle with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, I'm ready to put me in. I was hoping you could talk about the offensive line play, Coach. Um, I think it's one thing that, um, honestly, that every media source has really uh, lagged on touching, and, and it's a simple fact that Sarko, you know, he got away from running just the zone, the zone blocking scheme, and really uh, started using the, the man uh, power blocking scheme with the guards pulling, kicking out beautiful combo blocks by the right and the left side of the line, and and, and Max. And uh, I just really want, hoping you could t- touch on that. And uh, it's been really encouraging. And uh, yeah, I just was hoping you could talk about the scheme fit and uh, how much it's really uh, impacted our running game. And you know, as evidence last night. So, Coach, fight on, Ryan, everyone, Dan, and uh, thank you so much. Love the show. Keep it going. Well, thank you very much, and uh, you have noticed what I have noticed. I was specifically happy with the way the guards played last night. Now, the center's got to work on a snap. I'm surprised that they had that centering problem last night. They really did. Good thing Cody is a great athlete to be able to go out and get an offensive rebound. It looked like basketball, a couple of those. But Yes, I like the power type of play, and I like it also when Buck Allen is more in the pistol type of position. I feel he hits the hole better when he's running straight ahead and can find the hole. When he's running laterally to the line of scrimmage, yes, he's made positive yards, but I think he's better looking at the hole and letting it develop. When the off guard pulls through and they block down and kick out, flex their tight end a little bit to create a hole there, run through that hole and, and kick through the safety's uh, tackle and, and run, make big plays. I like that, both sides of the line, offensively, defensively. I think you've got to be aggressive on the offensive line and, and, and read the read. I don't think SC is great at, at the read. 
read option. Why? Because the quarterback isn't really someone who's a threat in the running game. Now, Cody kept the ball twice on uh, Saturday night in Tucson for first downs, both on big first down plays. But they know they're going to stop him. He's he's three yards or four yards, and that's what it is. They call it at the right time, and he got the necessary yardage. But you want to be able to have a guy that when he holds the ball, he's like or pulls it out. It's like Marcus uh, Mariota at Oregon or, or Hundley or uh, these other guys. The read offense, you you normally have to have or you should have with that offense a great running quarterback. Cody's good at what he does. I think they'd be better, first of all, with a huddle-up type of offense. They ran 69 plays. Uh, Arizona ran 101 plays. Arizona had 34 first downs. FC had, I think, 22 first downs. So basically, the huddle-up philosophy, to me, would be more with the power type of game that USC is accustomed to. But Right now, Coach Sarkeesian has picked his type of offense. Uh, you've got to go along with what the head coach says. But normally you try to fit your offense the best suit your personnel. And I think that the read type of offense uh, needs a type of quarterback that has, is a threat running the football. Like the Solomon kid. The Solomon kid didn't run last night. Uh but he's a great scrambler. And I think that uh, he could have hurt USC if they'd allowed him to run more, but he didn't. He decided to run the option and throw the option pass off the option and he's, uh, because uh, that's what their game plan was. But uh, I agree with you. I like to see that inside power. I like to see the sweep. I like to see them go after the outside perimeter more, which they don't do. They ran off tackle a lot last night. They had great success with it. So, uh, but I like him running straight ahead when he does that. We can see the hole open up. All right. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to David in Orange County. He said, uh, hey, Ryan, am I the only one that sees USC's offensive play calling as a way to give the opponents a chance to win, specifically late in the fourth quarter? I really think Coach Sark is a good head coach, but as an offensive play caller, he makes calls to protect his defense instead of giving his offense the best scoring opportunities, especially in the fourth quarter. That's David and OC. What do you think? Well, you know, uh, you've got to be able to play to win. You hear me using this term all the time and not trying to play to not lose. You've got to maintain the aggressive part of your offensive football game. Because remember, if the other team's not on the field, and you're the best defense is a great offense as far as holding the football, and the other team not getting the opportunity to have the football. And I've said it in the last two games, and if you follow me on Twitter, the last two games I have said it is up to the offense in the fourth quarter, not the defense. The defense cannot stop this team. The momentum has now changed to Arizona State's offense and last night Arizona's offense. And Arizona, you know, everybody knew they were a second-half team, but still they ran 101 plays against the defense. Holding the football and dominating the off- offensive side of the ball eliminates their offense from having the football. 
And when you're in there, it's necessary for you every time to get three, four yards of crack. Uh, make sure you throw the ball down the field. Get big plays. Keep them loose. Uh, ball control so that your defense has a chance to rest. You can't do three and out, six and out. You've got to be able to dominate on the offensive side of the football. I think that one one way to answer this is I've always said I think being a head football coach, calling the defenses, or being a head football coach and calling the offenses is asking too much of a coach to do on this level, Division One level, at a school such as USC. I've said that, and I said that, and I said that. They're required to be at speaking engagements, press conferences. They're required to be at all these type of meetings, academic meetings, athletic director meetings, booster club meetings, all of these meetings, and it takes time away from game preparation. You're better off to have a coordinator who's responsible for that. If he does well, fine. If the defense does well, fine. But you're the game manager. You're always a play ahead of the call as the head football coach, letting him know exactly how many down distance you're in, four-down four territory, three-down territory. All I want is three, play, three points on this series. All we need is to hold the football. I don't care if you score, just hold the football, get into our four-minute offense where we win the game because they don't get the ball back. But, you know, sometimes head coaches don't allow that or give that up because I think it takes away from your thinking of the whole picture when you're only looking at one side of the ball. Uh, you don't really encourage both sides of the ball equally. You don't have a chance to run around and talk to your players on offensively, defensively, special teams-wise. And uh, this could be a problem here. And I think Clay Helton is a very good football coach. I thought he called a great game in the Las Vegas Bowl. And I'd like to see him be more of a part of the play calling to help Coach Sarkeesian. Not to say he can't do it, but help him more as far as the rhythm of the game. Because I've never felt that USC's offense really has a great rhythm, which means they're series. Like last night, I don't know how many times you noted this, every time they put... Aguilar or the flanker in motion, they run out tackle because they were playing man and the guy went across with him, so there was a big hole over there on that tackle hole. Well, off of that, you should do something else more than once. Do something else so they, the power play is not the power play, it's something else. So you don't start to have dictated formation tendencies, personnel tendencies, and all of that. So it's it's easier to talk about than it is to do. But I think that that is one thing that is not the rhythm and the consistency that should be there at the end of the game. Uh, Coach, one last topic I wanted to bring up with you is about the officiating. We have a voicemail question. We had a bunch of people write in about this and tweet about it and post it on the message board. But I'll play this voicemail for you. It was kind of uh, sombering, I guess you could say. Here, here we go. Hi, this is Big John from Las Vegas. Uh, my wife has been a avid football fan for 25 or 30 years. Uh, last night, I found her walked away from the television. I asked her, what's the problem? And she said, I am just so sick 
of all these penalties. The game loses continuity. I lose interest in the game. I, I'm just packed. I'm not going to watch Pac-12 anymore. I'm going to just watch the pro games. I just don't care for college football, especially Pac-12. Uh, Larry Scott's got to do something. Uh, you're losing your fan base. A lot of people are just getting fed up, and that was a terrible, terrible referee game. Bye. Well, Big John, I have to agree that I think there's over-officiating going on in the Pac-12. I think that they're trying to be better than everybody else and outdo everybody else and, and be more into the game than what they necessarily need to be. Uh, when you start to call... Well, two weeks ago, 27 penalties. This week, SC had 13 penalties. And two of the penalties right now, I have no idea why they were called. One was the battling, batting of the ball. Now, that wasn't a penalty, but on that uh, ball that was batted forward, it went forward. It didn't go backwards. It laterally out of bounds. And also the fair catch with a guy in the up back on the, the personal protector called fair catch. And the the receiver behind it doesn't go fair catch, and they don't. They say he's interfering with his catching. What are they talking about? If you're running down covering a punt, you're looking at the guy that's fair catching the ball, and that's the guy you leave alone. But uh, those are two calls, and I think also now with the changes of two rules, such as the targeting rule and also the pass interference rule, these officials are still trying to find out exactly what they're supposed to be calling, and they're over-officiating. Anytime they see a big hit, it's targeting. It's not necessarily targeting. It's it's the way you tackle and you play. and you, Sometimes it's unfortunate. The safety of a player is very important. Sometimes the player lowers his head or changes angle, and, and the head is near helmet-to-helmet contact, and it's basically a shoulder. I don't like it either. If it's head-to-head contact, too, that you eject a kid from a game and he can't play till the next game. He plays, has to sit out the next game. I don't like that either. Uh, football is football. And it's very difficult to say, I want you to be tough and tackle, but watch how you do it. I think there's a fine line there. Yet safety is very important, too. Don't get me wrong. But it's pass interference. Another thing, new penalties, they're not sure how they want to call it, and they over-officiate it. The one pass interference they called on Hawkins last night on the two-point conversion where they got two shots at it, that wasn't even a catchable ball. They called pass interference. So I agree with your wife, John. It's being over-officiated, and I'll be completely honest with you, on the final play of the game, when they missed a field goal and I saw the kicker laying on the ground, I thought they were going to call roughing the kicker. <laughs> I I really did, Ryan. I don't know how you felt, but I really did. Because I couldn't see the whole play. But obviously he acted through it. And I said, my gosh, you're going to call roughing the kicker on this. But they didn't. So, uh, yes, let the kids decide what's going on and who's going to win the football game. Let's take it out of the hands of the officials. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of outrage, Coach. There's a lot of people that just aren't real happy with with how this has been going down and, uh, you know, the Tony Correnti is now gone as the head of officials for the Pac-12. He resigned. Um, I mean, and it just, you know, every Pac-12 game you watch, it seems to get worse and worse. I, I don't know what 
what they can do. Larry Scott made some comments yesterday at the Rose Bowl saying that, you know, oh, we're looking into it, but just kind of avoided everything. This is a real problem, and it's making, you know, it's, it's not making football fun to watch. And you got fans like that that don't want to watch anymore because it is so bad. Right, and, you know, sometimes he overemphasizes certain things, you know. I mean, he's in the tennis world, and uh, I'm not sure he even played football. Uh, if he did, I apologize. But, uh, you know, football is a rough sport. Football is a physical sport. For, uh, sport. You, you, you teach it as almost like a gladiator. Protect yourself or be destroyed. Be the hammer, not the nail. These are the terms you use. And I think as long as it's clean football, and it's not the term, if you remember, spearing. In the old day, there was spearing going on all over the field. And it was legal, really, for a period of time. Then I think they should let them play. And uh, if you start to lose your people and your audience and people aren't watching the game anymore, they're complaining about officiating. If you notice, the games are going longer, longer, and longer. That game last night wasn't over with till what, 1130? My gosh, that's a four-hour football game, right? Yeah, it's crazy. That's it really crazy. is. So yeah. I agree with that, gentlemen, and, and his wife, Big John. I believe your wife is right. All right. Well, thanks, Big John, and everyone else for sending in those questions. And thank you, Coach, for sharing your insights. We'll, uh, we're going to have to take a little break here and come back with in a minute with Dan Weber. But thanks again, Coach, for, for coming on. Thank you very much for you participating, everyone out there. And, Ryan, thank you very much. And now it's on to the Buffaloes. On to Colorado. But first, we're back in a minute with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. And we have a whole bunch of questions from you guys sent in uh, about this game. And, uh, Dan, I'm going to just read you one off the top, and we'll get into some of the rest of them, just kind of let you get in here. Uh, This is from uh, Sir Eric of Troy from Rancho Cucamonga. He said, this is the first time in 41 years of watching USC football that I was totally upset and disappointed after a win. I can't get over the fact that we look terrible. Wilcox, in my opinion, has our pass defense looking no better than that of Monty Kiffin, and Sark's offense looks worse than Lane's. No identity, no major threats, no fun or creative plays at all. And how is it a hurry-up offense if you stand there with your hands on your hips looking at the sideline to get the next play? They might as well huddle. Obvious, it's obvious that Sark plays not to lose, and I think he's rubbed off on Cody, who rarely throws the ball downfield. Anyone who thinks his coaching staff is better than the Orgeron group is crazy. Clay Helton, Clancy Pendergast offense and defense of last season would beat the crap out of this team. Frustrated, Sir Eric of Troy. Dan, 
It's a win. Yeah, it's, wow. a, it's a tough win. I think that win. really summarizes it well, the, <laughs> the viewpoint of how you can, you know. And, and there are a lot of people who basically say, what if that kick goes through? And they're right. If that kick goes through, this is a whole different conversation we're having here. Uh, if that kick goes through the uh, uh, Sark Sunday conference call, uh, similar to the one he had last week after the Arizona State game, would have been a whole different call and a whole different tone about it. You know, there's a hopefulness. We're young. We're competitive. We're tough-minded. You know, we ended up with, uh, you know, true freshmen like uh, John Plattenberg and Jonathan Lockett on the field, and we survived and, uh, you know, all of that. And, 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 you know, people, I will say this. It was having been down on the field, you know, we get there the last five minutes. What what happened in Arizona, while a little bit crazy and a little bit out of control and a little bit looking like maybe they were a little over their in over their heads, it was way better than the end of the Arizona State game. Okay, so is that good or bad? I don't know. These are still, you know, they talk about having a young team. This is still a young coaching staff. You can say Sark had five years at Washington, and he's still the eighth youngest coach in college, uh, you know, at BCS or whatever you want to call it, FCS. Um, and um, it's just uh, they're young, and, and, and it shows. And, uh, you know, they've got to work it. I think it's Sark it's on his Sunday conference call talked about this, that uh, developing a trust between the players, uh, among the players, and between the players and the coaches. And that's got to be a, a trust that's got to be earned. And uh, it, there are some things that happen Saturday will help that situation. Some things that happen Saturday might not. And Sir Eric Troy points out the ones that aren't going to help it. And uh, I don't think they've got you know, a long time to, to develop. I think uh, Sunday's conference call, Sark talked about talking to Coach John Robinson. And Coach Robinson, before the season, said, you won't know the identity of this team uh, until midway through the season. Well, they're midway through the season. And it's not just the team's And if you talk about the team's identity, are you talking about the players? Or are you talking about the players and the coaches? And that was the thing that was was done so well last year, uh, kind of an instant bonding between the players and the coaches after game five. And uh, I think, as Sir Eric of Troy did, they're always going to compare them to how that came around last year and how they kind of, you know, developed the, you know, developed the personality and unity pur- purpose. wasn't perfect. They had, you know, certainly the UCLA game as a, you know, bump in the road. But you got a sense of, you know, that that team knew who it was and how it was supposed to win games most of the time. This year, I think that's still got to come. And, and, you know, they've got a lot going for them. I mean, Buck Allen is, you know, if he were playing in a lot of places, he'd be uh, one of those people you'd be saying he's going to be in New York, you know, at the Heisman, uh, one of the five five finalists. Uh, It's kind of surprising that, more people in the country don't know about him and, and some of that because of the uh, USC's uneven performances and uneven sort of identity as to who they are. Uh, but I think they gotta they got to make a move real quickly, and they've got a chance. 
uh, you know, to get there, but they got to get there. And this, we'll see this week, next week, uh, who they are and how they, uh, you know, really get everybody on the same page. I think that's the one thing people want to see. As to Wilcox, let's say this. Sark had some really interesting numbers. He said that Arizona ran, if you count all the penalties and everything, 114 plays. He said only 4.9% of those plays would you uh, term uh, explosive plays. He defined that by saying a pass of 15 yards or more or a run of 10 yards or more, and the goal uh, for USC against their opponents is to limit them to 10% or, or fewer uh, explosive plays. 4.9% is a terrific number, and they did pretty much keep the ball in front of them and they did pretty much uh, protect the edges. That was that was a move forward. That was definitely, uh, you know, they did not give up the 77-yard and the 73-yard and even did that, you know, with T. Ron Seymour and Adoree Jackson going out. So uh, you can't say that there was no progress or that this, you know, was a kind of a continuation of the Arizona State game. It wasn't. It was a, a move in the right direction. But, again, the end game scenario still is, is something they really got to work on. Agree, hundred percent, there, Dan. Uh, let's move on. We got another voicemail question for you. Uh, it's not just fans that were upset. Former former players aren't real happy the way the team's playing. Let me play you this one. Hi, Ryan and team. This is Alan in St. Louis. Uh, thanks for always taking my call. Just watched the end of the game, and something stuck out to me on social media. Uh, Lendell White always very opinionated. His last tweet of the night said. This is on coaching and coaching alone. We are horrible, period. Your thoughts? Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Good old Lendell. He was always, he's always a hoot uh, to talk to. He never, ever uh, held anything back. Uh, you know, and he's, uh, you know, and, and you can see how, you know, former players would, you know, want to see, you know, the best for this team. And they really do identify with the current players, and, and there's no question about it. That you know, there are, uh, and I I tend to do that. I mean, I I will respond at times on the on the board on the peristyle when people it looks like are you know putting the team down or putting the kids down or it's on them or calling guys out by name and what have you. And I I, I do think um, uh, the coaches probably owe a little bit more to this team than than they've given them to this point and uh i you know i think we had you know what you saw was a a, a pretty good spring a, a really good summer with the kids you know when they basically were doing the players run uh you know players only uh practices and that i thought were the best i'd ever seen uh at usc you know that confidence is a whole lot of good 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 football teams and the uh i thought august they really uh, really did a great job, and yet once the season got here, I think that's the the transition that we're we're seeing, you know, some issues with in terms of you know combining this sort of hybrid pro style and up tempo offense and having enough time to practice and do all the things you need to to have done, and it's a real challenge. And, and I I don't know that anybody's ever exactly done this with pro style plays and. Uh, up tempo and trying to run, uh, you know, all you know, run 80, 90 or more plays a game. 
So uh, it's not going to come easy. And maybe we didn't pay as much attention to Washington last year, and I think you know Bishop Sankey probably just the way he was able to play made made a difference. Not that he was a you know better player than than Buck in a lot of ways, but uh, it just seems like it hasn't come as easily as 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 we thought it would in terms of the the way they got into the season, and then once they hit the season, uh, it just looks like more uncertainty than than we probably had had any right to expect at that point in time. And uh, it's getting to the point now where that should be going away if uh, if they're doing it right, and we don't have the sense quite yet that they are. So is that on the cases? Yeah, I think a little bit. Would I use you know Lindell's? Expression there, no, I don't, you know, but uh, but I can understand why somebody would. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's we understand the frustration out there, but it's, it's it's so crazy to see all the negativity with really a, a good win on the road, even though the way it happened. I mean, it was a top 10 team playing on the road, and USC's uh, you know, got the best record in the Pac 12 South, but it, I found myself yeah. doing that too. You tweeted, like, I can't believe this is happening again. <laughs> but they end up. Yeah, know, it was the a, win. it was scary time. I mean, it was it was one of those. I mean, if you were down on the sideline last night, you're thinking, could this possibly happen again? Is this even remotely? This is a game. You're thinking when you came down in the field again, USC's in really good shape, you know. And it's like, okay, how is this happening? What what? It's your college football change, and man, you really hit, better have a. Uh, end game scenario that you're really comfortable with, and the idea of sitting on the ball, you know, that's like uh, the four corner offense. Uh, that's gone. I mean, uh, you know, it didn't work out for Dean Smith, you know, 30 years ago probably, and uh, the way teams were defending it, and it ain't gonna work uh, in college football anymore. You better, you better stay on offense, and you better keep doing whatever it was that got you to lead, you better keep trying to do it and not uh, hope that, you know, somebody else is going to, you know, make a mistake. Uh, Yeah, it's a a difficult world to be a college football coach anymore. Uh, It's, uh, life is is pretty tough. You got to do a lot of things right. And there are a lot of opportunities for second guessing. I mean, it's one of the reasons Larry Scott explained why he thinks the Pac-12 officials are having so many problems because there's such high stakes and there's so much attention and there's teams are so competitive and there's so many plays and there are so much, you know, opportunity to screw up, which the Pac-12 officials will gladly uh, step up and, and, and screw up. If you give them enough chances, they'll do it. But, uh, I think the same thing applies to the coaches a little bit. This is a very – I mean, I'm sure that Arizona fans are, uh, you know, second-guessing Richrod as well. So, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a, an easy place right now uh, to be second-guessed uh, big time. But, but, uh, but I, I still don't have a, a sense that the defense absolutely collapsed. Uh, it, they hung in there, you know, with, with all of the – things that were going on uh, on the road. I mean, this is a – I don't know that anybody else has beaten two essentially top ten teams on the road, certainly not in their conference. I mean, as somebody pointed out, and I don't know if the numbers are correct or not, that Sark in the first six games at USC has won as many top ten road games 
as Kevin Sumlin and Art Bryles combined for their entire careers. <laughs> so, you know, there are different ways to put this in perspective, and that's one. Crazy. Um, all right, well, we got a lot of questions to get to, so we'll try to okay. keep getting rolling through them. Uh, Mike sent, gave us a long voicemail. Sorry I couldn't play the whole thing, Mike, but um, he was talking about Max Turek and snapping. The announcers didn't seem to quite understand. You know, he goes, well, if you listen to the show, you know he has long arms, so he has kind of a different style. But what did you take take away from the Max Turek uh, snapping problems? I don't know, because we really thought that looked like Max in the uh, first week of August. And he really beat it. He worked at it. You know, he's Cody's roommate. They work at it. He's conscientious as can be. We never did think he was absolutely delighted that uh, he ended up at center. And that uh, he had, you know, a kid that would, this is what the team needs you to do. This is what you're going to do. I mean, I'm I'm still not convinced that, you know, that's the way I would have gone. But uh, that's the way they went. And for five games, nothing. And all of a sudden, man, we're getting that ball up in the air four times that Cody had to had to go way up and save it. Once it led to a really, you know, a terrific play where I think it screwed up the defensive timing and Cody got the ball down just in time to give it to Buck and he, uh, you know, he sprang one. But uh, I don't have a good answer and I didn't get to talk to Max last night, so uh, that'll be something we'll catch up with this week. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think it comes easily to Max. I mean, he, I don't know that, you know, Max is the kind of guy that, you know, that you would necessarily six six, but I'm not sure he's the guy you would, you know, uh, pick on your, uh, you know, uh, cheese-up basketball team. Uh, and I just don't know that there's that same kind of hand-eye coordination that uh, that you, you know, that – you know, some guys, it's just more natural than it is to others. And, um, you know, I think the long arms play into it a little bit. But um, you know, it, does, it hasn't come easily. And last night was, the, you know, the first time we, you know, Saturday night was the first time we saw it. Uh, you're talking about those explosive plays, and this probably is the answer for Charles uh, from Carson. But he wants to know, uh, having the defensive backs play 10 yards off, allowing Arizona to just play pitch and catch is crazy. Where's the bump and run? Well, uh, the, in that situation, I mean, okay, for example, and they did play a little bit, but you got Jonathan Lockett, a 5'11", true freshman, going up against Caleb Jones, 6'3", looks like an NFL receiver. I'm not sure, you know, that's the time you really want to do a lot of bump and run. And, it, you know, the bump and run, well, maybe it was last week against Arizona State. And, you know, you bump them and then they run. And run and run and run. I, I thought the defensive scheme wasn't the worst I'd seen. I, I thought they came up and tackled well. I thought they kept everything in front of them, and uh, it wasn't quite as back off as much as as Monty Kiffin. Uh, and um, it, it, I, you know, I could second guess some of that at times, but uh, you know, they made uh, they made Solomon and threw the ball you know, 72 times, and even if you're saying, well, we just let him pitch and catch and, and USC, you know, backed off, he still hit 29 incompletions. So, you know, it wasn't like he just totally shredded them, and they scored 26 points. So USC's got a chance, I think, in most games, if they only get, if they give up only 26 points, uh, and they, they do play pretty well in the red zone, 
uh, as they showed. So I, I don't know that it's an indefensible uh, uh, defensive strategy the way they played it the other night. Uh, another defensive question, Dan. He said, would you please explain to me how Coach Wilcox can consistently use a base zone read defense without doing anything to help the three down linemen on the pass rush? Isn't it inevitable? Oh, isn't it an invitation to the opposing quarterback to pick the secondary apart? That's Lewis and Huntington Beach. I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you pick your poison, and I think they went into the year thinking that they were going to get enough from Antoine and Delvon and, and Claude and uh, on top of Leonard, that that would would really give them, you know, a, a chance. And we haven't seen until the other night, we really haven't seen Claude and, and Delvon just get their motors going. Uh, and, and, and why that is, I don't know. I really don't know. But we did see, you know, Claude with the punt block. We saw Delvon much more active. Antoine looked like he was having... You know, just and and they're getting Cody Temple now, uh, as Sark talked about on Sunday night, that he he gave them 16 plays. But I think they thought that they had enough from that front group that they didn't. I mean, that's the ideal situation if you don't have to give them a lot of help uh, and they're athletic enough. We thought they were. I, I don't think we were wrong. I mean, Claude Pion was the number one junior college defensive lineman in the country last year. Uh, Delvon Simmons, you know, was a was a great high school player, uh, a, a pretty good freshman year at Texas Tech. So, and you know, these are long, athletic guys, and I think it's been, you know, I don't, you know, know where, you know, USC finally uh, the coaches started talking to them about, you know, being playmakers and making plays, and, and it looks like, you know, had some effect uh, uh, where they went into sort of a hibernation state there for a few games. I don't know, uh, but I think that's their thinking is that these guys are athletic enough that they ought to be able to be disruptive enough if they, uh, you know, uh, my personal feeling is you get into games and they're not, then you better do some things, okay? And maybe they didn't do enough in those games when they saw that they weren't getting enough from those guys. I think the hope going forward is those guys kind of get their – mojo going and that they really start becoming you know those individual winning those i mean the big emphasis last week was winning those one-on-one battles and competing and it looked like that happened uh we'll see going forward but that's what they want want to happen they don't want to have to give them all that much help so that they can you know have got you know plenty of people uh you know in the secondary to uh you know make plays uh, let's see. We got SC Maid had a question, Dan. I hear that Sark is saying that Quentin Powell needs to put on weight to play outside linebacker this year. Here's my question for Dan. Why? <laughs> <laughs> good question. Uh, a very good question. I mean, I, the other night when he ran down that, ran that kid down from, from behind, uh, and, and ran past, you know, every other player USC had on the team, he's got a remarkable skill set. And this is the one problem you've got with a new coaching staff you know they may not recognize things that you know just regular old fans here uh, from watching last year from you know going to practice in the spring uh you know just from seeing seeing him on you know on film uh he didn't get 
because they didn't rotate much on defense last year. None of the freshmen got uh, such, you know, linebackers that got in, uh, you know, got a lot of game action. So they didn't have a lot of game film on him. And I just think they look at him and just say he's not big enough. And, you know, he does keep making plays on, on special teams. Uh, there's no question about it. He's as good at open field tackler as they've got. He's as good at, you know, running somebody down as they've got. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes you've got a vision of how your defense should look and who should be out there to be able to play it. And he just doesn't exactly fit in uh, without another 15 or 20 pounds into their defense. I I think they're wrong. Okay. I I agree with you, but um, that's, uh, it's their defense. And, uh, you know, uh, I would, I think this is where you would find a way to get him on the field. If that means your defense has to change some, then your defense has to change. <laughs> yes, he doesn't have enough players to have a guy with his skill set not uh, being able to, to use it uh, on the field. Makes a lot of sense, Dan. Uh, let's see. We have one from Frank at Sacramento. The Trojans have tremendous red zone defense and tremendous, and tremendous run defense. The pass defense needs some work. So, when does Josh Shaw come back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more – it doesn't look good, I don't think, at this point. Uh, you know, I uh, – and then Sark said that Josh is doing everything he can. You also hear that maybe there – you know, there is more that that could be done or that hasn't been done. Um, or that there's a uh, you know a trust factor there in terms of explanations and all that. I know, and I'll probably talk about this in the war room this week. But I know in previous years when issues came up with players, um, and this is more historical and not just in the immediate past, but 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 there were years where players with with legal issues where they actually used. Uh, a um, uh, an LA person who I think is like the best lie detector specialist in the uh, in the country, and I know it actually mattered a, a few times in in cases where it might have been a he said she said situation or other kinds of situations like that, where the lie detector test uh, where USC was real proactive about it or USC at least the people representing the player in terms of uh, taking lie detector tests and kind of demonstrating either to the police or the authorities or whatever that uh, uh, you know that there whether you know there was a charge or whatever that there was uh, a good reason not to believe it or a good reason to believe the USC player. Now whether they you know to that point whether I mean if we only knew exactly what the where the investigation is. I mean, I have certainly heard that, you know, they have not turned up anything that would be, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, law violation that would be, you know, disqualifying or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. If there's the potential, it's like, how do you prove a negative? If, if you have to prove uh, going forward that there absolutely positively will not be something come up that will make USC look bad, make the, a decision to reinstate look bad. Uh, how do you have USC go forward knowing that there is that potential? 
and, and maybe there are some ways that you can, uh, you know, get past that. But right now, it doesn't look like they've been able to do that in terms of, you know, yes, we can trust you, absolutely. Because you're asking USC to trust somebody who really didn't demonstrate when push came to show in this particular incident that he could be trusted. And, you know, there are you know, differences of opinion about going forward, whether that's still happening or not. And, and, and can, can Josh come forward and be totally candid about everything if there is a potential, and I don't even know if this is even a remote possibility, not necessarily, uh, say, legal, uh, you know, uh, a legal issue, but maybe a, a lawsuit, you know, potential, a civil, you know, situation. Uh, It's very complicated, and and I would say at this point, I don't think it looks terribly good for Josh. All right, well, we'll see. I I agree with you there, Dan, and uh, people ask him, like, I don't think you'll see him back, but who knows? Well, stranger things have happened, so we'll we'll keep following that. Uh, Mark had another, we had a lot of defensive questions, Dan, obviously. Mark had a question. I doubt if you'll get a straight answer, but will you ask Sarkeesian uh, they actually called him. Will you ask the know-it-all coach? He's talking about Steve Circus. How he would fix uh, the poor play of our safeties? Missed tackles due to poor angles taken. Missed tackles because they do not break down properly. It happens over and over. And the only reason we got out of Arizona was they failed to exploit their poor play. This will come back to haunt us. Uh, that's Mark. Not very enthusiastic about the USC safety play. I would say, you know, and I, that's, uh, you know, you might be painting with a broad brush there. I, I think for the most part, Cheryl Bowman has done a pretty good job. I mean, he, you know, here's a kid that didn't practice this week, basically, uh, and came in, made nine tackles, and he, I think, I'm really impressed with his, his play. They did put Sua uh, back at safety some the other night, uh, He's really been breaking down, I think, and ta- tackling really well in space. I do think, you know, with Leon, I think there are some issues in terms of tackling angles and pursuit angles and, and things like that and, and, you know, getting to where, you know, you, you need him to be uh, you know, spacing-wise and, and all of that. But uh, I don't think it's the worst problem they've got. And, again, they did keep pretty much everything in front of them. And, you know, they had one horrific breakdown, and I don't think that was on the players at all. I think that was that was a very late change in uh, in, def- in the defensive call from what you could tell and watching Hayes, you know, signaling pretty much as the ball was being snapped and, and on the wheel route that, you know, the guy was 20 yards open and obviously, uh, you know, total breakdown. But uh, uh, I'm... I'm I'm not as considering, um, you know, playing without Josh and moving Sue to linebacker and all that. I think they've done about as well as you can. And, and keep an eye on John Plattenberg. Uh, I think he played really well last night. And, and Sark said he played really well after seeing the film. Uh, and talking to this kid, he doesn't sound like a freshman. He doesn't look like a freshman. And uh, I think he gives the safety some uh, some real hope for uh, for being a you know pretty solid group uh, going you know going forward. And they got you know the, these last six games to show it. But uh, I'm a little more optimistic about 
about safety player, but there are issues, no question. Um, all right, man, we still have a whole bunch to get to. I'm gonna, we got one more okay. voicemail question and then some more uh, email ones, but I'll play you this voicemail one, Dan. Here you go. Ryan, this is Rob from Oregon, and I just want to comment on a couple things. I'll try to keep it short. I do have to take Dan Weber to task on some of the things he's been saying about the sanctions. I do. He keeps saying that they are over. However, I think the next couple years will be uh, pretty bad. Um, the fact is, there's 20 sophomores and juniors that we should have available to us that will not be playing. And uh, that kind of experience um, you really can't replace. I know that uh, we have three freshmen on the line, and that's not the best way to do things. And they may be good, but it's still they're still freshmen. In addition to that, there's at least, out of those 30 uh, recruits that we did not get, uh, probably 20 are in the Pac-10 and 10 probably with UCLA, which makes it uh, very difficult for us. Um, and so I think we're going to feel those sanctions for quite a while, no matter, uh, no matter that we have 55 scholarship players at a time. So I uh, hope you could comment on that. And uh, it's just going to hurt us in the future. The next couple of years, uh, there's no way of getting around it. Thanks. Well, I, I guess we have to give Rob credit. He's the first person that ever said I played down the uh, effect <laughs> of the sanctions. I think that. <laughs> I'll take that one. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think the one thing you look at is most football teams have a nucleus of about 50, 55 guys. And uh, I think USC has been pretty happy with the nucleus they've got. That they've got, and they've got more of a nucleus this year than last year, and more talent this year than last year. And they've got good freshmen, and maybe you're better off playing them and getting them out there and getting them experience with the talent level they've got, and 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 go for it that way rather than rather than redshirt them. And uh, those extra 30 guys, uh, USC wouldn't have had 30. Uh, you know, you can't you know recruit all those guys. I think the best point, Rob, Meg, is the fact that those guys are somewhere else in the Pac-10, you know, Pac-12 at this point, and you are playing against them. And and that makes life more difficult when you play Arizona, when you play Arizona State. And Arizona went through, was sitting there in the press box last night, and they're, you know, listing their starters. And all of a sudden you realize, like, every other guy was a Southern California kid. I mean, essentially, you know, it's uh, you know, a couple of guys from Arizona, a couple of guys from the rest of the country, and everybody else is Southern California. And you do realize, yeah, that's where those guys are. And they're, you know, they're playing, they want to beat USC, but, you know, they're, they're talented kids. And uh, so that would have helped, I think, without a doubt there. I do think they, they weren't terribly limited on this team this year by, by the sanctions. Why that, it's probably crazy that, you know, the NCAA thought they were going to kill USC. And USC had a team that was ranked ninth at once. And Sark thinks they could have been, you know, in the top five. And there's almost no way to, you know, say that, that, you know, that that should have happened or could have happened. But when you look at position by position, they do have, you know, a solid nucleus. They do have talent. Uh, and maybe you take this player here or that player there, and it would help. But, uh, but I don't know that it's – I don't know if sanctions would be the top of my list as to issues facing this team right now. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got some offensive questions. We'll start with those. Earl of West L.A., 
Uh, he said, instead of stretching the field with deeper passing routes, we dink and dunk to set up the run. Nothing lo- loosens up a defense more than successful long passing plays. Just look at their last three minutes against ASU as proof. What is the point of having George Farmer and Nelson Aguilar running outs and look-ins when they could be daring defenders to keep up with their speed downfield? That's Earl in West L.A. I can't, get, can't agree more with Earl. Uh, I know there are probably, you know, they weigh things like uh, uh, youth in the offensive line. Are we going to have, uh, you know, a whiff here? And, uh, uh, you know, are we going to get Cody killed? Uh, I don't think so. I think they hold up pretty well. I think if you are smart enough and basic enough and don't try to do too many things, you've got enough talent on that offensive line, enough big athletes uh, that you ought to be able to, uh, you know, pretty much throw whatever you want to throw. And, and you always have Buck as an out, you know, an outlet. And if you're going to take everybody else away, you don't, if you're a defense, you don't have enough people to take away Buck too. And uh, that's the nightmare scenario. If you're a defense is you've got everybody covered and uh Oh, here's Buck leaking out of the backfield, and, and now he's got the ball in space. Uh, so I think they haven't exploited that as much as they, they probably should. I think I'd run George Farmer on a deep pattern every single game to get that on film and make everybody respect that. Uh, I do think uh, I'd throw more of those uh, you know patterns in there. I don't think they do it enough in practice, and I think that makes it much harder to time up uh, when you get into the games. But uh, absolutely – uh, I like the crossing routes. I like it that they run and run and run, uh, you know, and, and Cody stays alive and he can hit them at the sideline. You know, a guy could cross the entire field like Nelson does a lot of times, and I think that's really good. Uh, whether that's, you know, if that's all you got when you got third and eight and you got, you know, three guys crossing and none of them are deeper than six yards, that's not good. Uh, so, and, you know, the ball Nelson dropped the other night where he really – he was trying so hard to wheel and go. But, again, it's a pattern where he's he's not uh, set up to get yards into the catch because he's catching it with his back downfield. He's catching it totally facing, uh, you know, the line of scrimmage. And um, I think you see more of that than, than you'd probably like and you'd like to see them, uh, you know, get more – with the athletes that they've got, the number of athletes they've got, you'd like to see them exploit mismatches and get people down the field, running down the field. And uh, I think they need to get that figured out right away. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll do uh, AV, uh, AVE Joe 1. He says, I believe the old adage is something like a team plays like they practice. I understand offensive coordinator Clay Helton calls the offensive plays during practice. If so, why does Coach Sarkeesian call the offensive plays during the games? Do you think the difference between the two are noticeable to the players? That's Lewis and Huntington Beach. I mean, and, and Clay Helton does run the practice from the offensive standpoint, and, and and yet those plays are scripted. So that you know again goes through Sark. It's not like they're out there. And they're reconstructing the game. And that's part of the problem, I think, is you've got this scenario of a, uh, an up-tempo uh, situation uh, in games where you're trying to go without a huddle. But in practice, you do have it scripted, and you're doing teaching, and you've got the scout team there, and it's kind of a combo of uh, you know, 
not quite full speed and sometimes more of a walkthrough. And, uh, and and get your timing down, and especially on the we're talking about the deeper balls before, and uh, all of that. Uh, I think that's a challenge, and that's where you know the genius of coaching. I mean, that's where you know really big time genius coaches figure out how to do that. How do we get players, and they know where exactly their players are. I thought it was always one of the the absolute uh, complete. Uh, areas of, of not understanding for Lane was he, he had no idea where his players were, what they were getting out of practice, what he was able to teach them, what they could translate to games. Uh, and uh, I think that's, a, that, that's the issue in coaching of all time, I mean, I, I, in every sport. How do you get players freed up to absolutely make the kind of big-time plays they're capable of in games and in, in, in game uh, you know, pressure at game tempo and game speed and all that, and uh, having uh, having that happen in practice is is really important. You know, should a team, for example, that's going to go no huddle, uh, should they be taking time between plays to uh, really understand the concepts and the walkthrough, or does that work against their ability to do that in games? I think it's a it's a it's a it's a really good question, and I don't know that it's one we've had answered yet. All right. Uh, that was a good question there. I like that. Um, let's see. Okay, we had another one. This was Earl in West L.A. Doesn't it stand to reason that the success of Buck Allen running will only open up the passing game for the Trojans? By the way, have you seen this stat? USC running backs yardage through six games. In 2014, Buck Allen, 781. 2005, Reggie Bush had 761, and Lendell White had 642. So he actually has more rushing yards than either Bush or White did back in 2005. Well, that was the genius of that team. They had two of them. They had the, you know, the thunder and lightning or however you wanted to call it. And you had to defend the run against that team. I still, if you ever look at the YouTube highlights, it's a little over three minutes of the, of the Orange Bowl in Oklahoma with all those good players that they had in their secondary that went on to play in the NFL very successfully. Those guys couldn't stop themselves from coming up to defend the run and the next thing you saw was some play accident and you know you had Steve Smith or or uh, you know one of the tight ends running by him and they couldn't help themselves and that's where you'd like to see it to the point uh is it getting there maybe a little bit maybe a little bit after uh, after Saturday where if you're defending USC and game planning you got to think man we can't uh we can't let Buck go off for 200 yards. We're probably going to be in trouble. Uh, now, USC's got to be ready if somebody like Boston College, who decided we're not going to let Buck do that, and we're going to sell out, and we're going to stop the run absolutely, and USC said, eh, we're going to keep running it and running into a brick wall. And uh, a game probably they should have thrown it 60 times. I think you got to be ready to do it both ways. I think you got to be able to do the, you know, uh, run the ball to set up the play action pass, and you got to be able to run, uh, you know, passing offense to set up your run game. And uh, a lot of that's going to be determined by, uh, you know, how the other team, you know, decides to defend you. And I just want to see them be nimble enough that they can go either direction and feel very comfortable about it and feel confident. And not, you know, like, we're going to be stubborn and we're going to show you. We can, no, no, you just you take what's there. Because this is a team that's capable of doing both. It's not Boston College. You can't throw it. And it's not Arizona State that can't run it or couldn't run it against USC. Or it wasn't Arizona. Arizona, 
so two straight games, USC's playing the teams that were leading the Pac-12 in rushing. Uh, Arizona State last week and now Arizona this week. And both USC absolutely shut them down, the run game. Now, uh, you got a couple of breaks injury-wise with Arizona. But uh, uh, for those who want to just, you know, kill USC's defense, they did do that, you know. So, um, but uh, I think you got to be able to take what's there. And this is a team that's good enough to be able to go into a game and say, whatever you're going to do, we're going to take the other thing from you and uh, and not worry about it. And if that means Cody throws it 60 times, it means he throws it, you know, a lot of deep balls, fine. But you've got to be ready to do that. And you can't just do it on the field in the game. Uh, you got to really uh, get that done in practice. And, and, and I think that's kind of an issue. I think figuring out what's the best way to practice with this team trying to do what it's doing with its uh, – you know, players with their skill sets, how do you get that done? That's the key, and I don't think they've completely answered that for themselves yet. Uh, okay, we have a couple more. Uh, Jay and Marcel and Diamond Bar. Well, Jay's different, and then Marcel and Diamond Bar both wanted to know about the officiating. I'll read you Marcel's question. He said, the kick-catch uh, interference call was the worst call I've seen by this officiating crew. He's talking about Land Clark's uh, crew. Because I noticed Sarkeesian hadn't said one word to the refs. Is that because it's the same crew from Stanford? I guess it was, they were the Stanford game. And I had thought that was – I thought they were going to be the best crew this year. Uh, I guess I have to reevaluate my <laughs> and, and, and maybe a league that doesn't have a best crew. You know, I mean, I, I don't know that there's been a best crew. Uh, and, you know, so I'm pinning my hopes on Land Clark and uh, not – you know, so far not so good. Uh, I don't know what you know. I don't know what the uh, what the answer is, but uh, they had. I'm still not sure that the the roughing the passer crossing the line of scrimmage wasn't the worst call. Although obviously uh, for a bang bang play, the uncatchable pass in the end zone uh, was ridiculous. I mean, it's just how do you miss that call? I mean, you can't even possibly make that call uh it was so not uh you know deserving of a pass interference but uh you know it, just, it is what it is and and we've seen it for so many years i mean, still remember the first officiating meeting i went to covering the team when, when pete carroll just hit you know had this litany of things this was like you know i don't know pete's second or third year and he'd had enough and you just sat there and you just thought, God, I mean, I had been to those for the SEC when I covered them in the, in the, Pac, in the uh, Big Ten. And the, the Pac-12 is just such a different place. It's just so not as uh, competent and not as professional as, as you saw, uh, you know, in those other places. And, and I, I, for the life of me, can't, can't come up with a, an exact explanation that, I, that satisfies me as to, why you can't find guys that can get the job done. Yeah, it's a, when, and maybe you want to give an update of what Sarkeesian said about a couple of those calls on the uh, Sunday conference call. Yeah, he's, a, he's definitely sending two of those to the, uh, the Pac-12 office uh, on Monday, uh, and hopefully we'll have an answer by Tuesday. But uh, on, the, uh, on the quarterback, uh, whether he was across the line of scrimmage, I mean, they flagged the quarterback, uh, Solomon, for being across the line of scrimmage on that one pass uh pass that he threw and then they also we didn't know this they this, there were two flags the second flag though was for usc roughing the passer when they hit him uh 
obviously those that's again it's like having uh you know play at first base and you got you know for some reason you got uh, two umpires or let's say you got to overthrow it at the plate and you got the first base and the third base umpire come in to uh, back up somehow and you got one of them calls out and one of them calls safe and basically they said one official said he crossed the line of scrimmage that was an illegal forward pass the other official said oh no he was a quarterback and USC wasn't allowed to hit him. Well, it's obvious if the officials themselves don't know whether he's crossed the line of scrimmage or not. He's not a quarterback in the pocket. He doesn't deserve quarterback protection. He's a running back, and you are allowed to hit him. And uh, and then for them to go to replay to check whether he was across the line of scrimmage and then use replay to penalize USC 15 yards is absolutely beyond belief uh, <laughs> to come up with that result. The second play that's going to the officials, uh, to the uh, Pac-12, is the kick, uh, uh, the punt, uh, uh, fair catch interference, because the guy that singled the, signaled the fair catch illegally blocked a USC uh, kick cover guy, uh, and then the block uh, ends up, uh, you know, causing the contact for which USC got penalized. So that, you know, negates the play. They don't get the, you know, they don't get the ball. And that one also is, is going to go for clarification because Sark said, you know, here we are. We get illegally blocked, and we end up getting calls. You know, we end up getting flagged on a play where we got illegally blocked into the play. Uh, and so, you know, and that would have been a gigantic, uh, you know, play in, in terms of the kick coverage and, and the ball and all of that. So uh, that was just two, and so we're not even to the uh, – you know, the egregious uh, missed call in the end zone. Uh, so, you know, it's just another week in the, you know, in the Pac-12. <laughs> and, uh, and, and again, you know, now they've got a backup supervisor, the, uh, the instant replay guy who's pretty much invested in the instant replay is now the supervisor of officials. So they don't really have a supervisor. Uh, and uh, and they've got a guy who, Essentially, he has to back up his backup officials. So uh, you know, and again, we're we're watching some of the people in the official booth next to us in Arizona when a couple of those replays were going on, and it always reminds me of the fact that uh, for years the replay guy at Arizona was the head of the Wildcat Club, a former football player at Arizona, and a big donor. He also was the replay guy in Tucson. Oops. <laughs> Maybe they, and then they got that big controversy with Oregon one year, and then they they had to stop doing it. But uh, you know, no other conference would even consider you know having the guy who's a donor and a former football player and a Wildcat Club guy. He's also the you know he's the instant replay guy. And it's hard to find them in Tucson, so we just decided to let him do it. Only the Pac-12 would do stuff like that, you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, they say this, you know, the instant replay guy is good, that he's the best one in the country and set up, you know, for other conferences and all that. So we'll see how this how this works out. But something's not right when you have this game after game, year after year, week after week. they got to get – they got to do better. And then one last one for you, Dan. I don't, I don't want to end on a, a down note, but this I had to get this one in there. Chris in Cambria said – it's painfully obvious again this week that our coaching is abysmal, and I'm wondering how much time Dan thinks this coaching staff will be given. Realistically speaking, how soon could a coaching change be made? 
see, that's the hard, you can't think those thoughts because it's not, you know, if I'm, you know, our guy in Cambria, not soon enough, you know, I, I would say for him, from if I'm only thinking about it from his point of view, it can't happen in a way probably that can impact you. Uh, it has to happen, I think, with this group right now. Now, you know, going forward, we'll see how how this plays out. Uh, obviously, I, mean, I was candid. I would have done what some people thought USC should have do, should have done, and without you know getting you know you weren't getting Nick Saban, you weren't probably getting Urban Meyer. Not sure you wanted him, but that caliber guy. Uh, would you have been better off continuing for at least another year the transition that was made so successfully in a lot of ways with uh, Ed? I mean, I thought that that staff really performed well, and would you know should they have been given another chance? You know that that would have been my call, and I, I'm not you know never never hid that. Uh, now that you know Sark is here. Uh, I mean, would he been in better, you know, position to get that job after another year at Washington and 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 see how this, you know, how the staff had done if he'd given him a full year? Uh, you know, I kind of thought they'd earned it, uh, but I think Sark has, you know, you got to give you know this staff and Sark uh, the opportunity to get this right, and uh, you know, this is a it's a bigger stage. A lot more people asking you a lot tougher questions uh, now. The expectations are really are really high. I mean, there is a difference. For example, one of the things you notice at Arizona, they're all fired up and it's sold out and what have you. But it reminds me of growing up in Kentucky and covering Kentucky. That was a basketball school, and when push came to shove in the SEC, Kentucky fans were willing to accept coming close, but not quite getting it done. And you notice that. If USC goes to Arizona and kind of takes them out of the game, much of the game, they get kind of quiet. And they did the other night. You know, it's a basketball school. And uh, you get to USC, and it's a serious football school with a serious football tradition. And stuff matters where you might at one school have five years to get stuff going and get together. USC five weeks might be about the way it works and they're going to have expectations. They're going to ask you, they're going to demand it. They're going to be unhappy. And as we're seeing now, uh, but, uh, to, you know, to expect something to happen, you know, right away or make those, you know, all kinds of, you know, moves, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, they're invested in this in a way. I mean, you know, if things went bad enough quickly enough, I mean, who would want that? Though? These players don't deserve that. These players deserve to have the best possible year. They have done so much, and they've gone through so much, and they didn't deserve any of it, had nothing to do with any of it. And the, the way, you know, you, put, you punish the NCAA, punishes the innocent. Uh, and I don't think USC has, has backed them up enough. Uh, so you can't wish for any kind of thing to happen that would require, you know, kind of instantaneous uh, – you know, reshuffling of the of the coaching deck, but uh, but I do think the pressure ought to be on so that they really do understand that um, you know week to week it's got to get better. I mean, you can say we got a young team. Well, 
young teams have much more opportunity to get better week to week, and that has to happen. And this is a team that's got a chance to, to do that, but they have to do it. So that, to me, is, 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 is the only place you go right now is this team has to get better and has to get better right away. Uh, now I'd probably be saying something different if that kick went through. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we are where we are. You know, it didn't go through, and they're 4-2, and two, and they're leading the Pac-12 South, and all you can say now is uh, get yourself to the championship game. You know, beat everybody you're supposed to beat, beat everybody you have to beat, and get to the championship game, and then, then we'll talk. But uh, get better every week. You just got to keep getting better every week. And they did get better. Uh, this was better. Uh, this was better than last week in a lot of ways. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll, I think we'll accept that if they keep getting better. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks for answering all those. I mean, we, I just I don't want to leave anyone out. We just get so many questions and even after i put the podcast up they keep sending them in so i apologize for that but uh lots of questions with this that's team good. i mean that's then that's the difference there are lots of questions lots of expectations and that's a good thing and i i, I do think sark understands that uh, again understanding the question and coming up with the answer are two completely different things but you can't come up with the answer if you don't understand the question. So I think he's kind of getting to a sense of, of where the question is. But, again, that's the question. How well do you get it? And how well do you, you know, respond to it? We're going to see. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. Thanks for coming on. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast for Coach Harvey Hyde. Dan Weber, this is Ryan Abraham. Check out uscfootball.com for more, and we'll see you next week on the podcast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.